Take your copy of the scripture and open with me to Exodus chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse 10 after uh, last week looking at the beginning of the battle. We entitled last week, The Battle Begins. God has called Moses out of the the wilderness in uh, in Midian uh, as a as a goatherd, as Gerald will correct me if I do not say that right. He's not a goat shepherd, a goatherd. He is watching the flocks of his father-in-law in Midian, and he has encountered Yahweh in the burning bush. And Yahweh has told him he has come to deliver the people that he has promised a deliverance to. He has come to begin to move to accomplish what he has promised to Abraham many, many years before this, 400 or so years before. And Moses tries his best to weasel his way out of it. He argues about with God about it. He doesn't want to do it. And finally just tells him flat out, look, get somebody else to do it. In verse 13 of chapter 4. And Yahweh sends Aaron and says, look, Aaron's going to come. Aaron will do the talking. And you can go with him. And that will prove to be more of a thorn in his side than he realizes. But he needed a little help. He decided to try to get some help his own way. So the Lord kind of obliged him in giving him the help that he thought that he needed, which turned out to not be the help that he would need, but it created another need that caused him to to truly turn to the Lord for all that he could do, and him being the only one that could provide what Moses needed. And that is a great, great thing for you and I to recognize from Moses' life. There are things that we need that only the Lord can provide. And he provides them on his terms. He provides them his way. And we don't get to come to him and negotiate. But even if we could come to him and negotiate, all we would do is muddle up what he's trying to do and give him suggestions that would probably not be as profitable as we think they are rather than letting him come and do it his way and know that that his glory and our eternal good are always what he is doing in the lives of his people We looked last week, chapter 5 is where Moses comes and Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. They've come in at the end of chapter 4. They've met with the elders of Israel. The elders are are all ready. It says that they were so overwhelmed that they bowed low and worshipped in verse 31 of chapter 4. Chapter 5 begins the battle between, it's not a battle between Moses and Pharaoh. On the outside, that's what it's going to look like, at least for the Egyptian people. But this is a battle between between the, the God of heaven and this, this demonic man of, of the world, Pharaoh, this demonic leader in Egypt that has God's people under his thumb, as it were. And not only does he have no respect for them, he has less respect for them than, than you would have for an enemy of yours. He absolutely does not care about these people. There are more of them than he thinks he can ever uh, use and run out of, and he is treating them as such. When we come to the second half of chapter 5, Moses goes and meets with Pharaoh, and he says, let us go to the wilderness. Pharaoh says, I don't even know who Yahweh is. Uh, I don't know who this Yahweh is. I've never heard of Yahweh. This is the, the God of the Hebrews. He knows that they have their own God, but he being in the driver's seat, as it were, in Egypt, sees himself as greater than uh, any god of a slave people, slave class of people. They ask him again in verse 3, said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey in the wilderness that so we may sacrifice to him. And then he says to Moses and Aaron, Why do you draw the people away from their work? They exist to serve me, and you've taken them away from their work. Go back to your hard labors. And the battle begins. Because Moses says, Let us go so that Yahweh our God not confront us with pestilence and with the sword. And there's something of a warning there for Pharaoh. Listen, if he's going to confront us with pestilence and a sword, then if you're the one who is holding us back from what he is telling us to do, then guess who else is going to get confronted with pestilence and sword? It's something of a a double-edged statement there. But what we're going to see here in the second half as Moses is 
has gotten neck deep in this battle, Moses again proves to be very relatable to you and I. We look at Moses in chapter 4, we, we tend to hold these, these figures in, in biblical history and, and we, we put them on, on pedestals very often. The, these men and, and women that were used of, of God and we see them as great people. Well, what the scripture records for us is not only the things that God did with them, the scripture records for us all of the weakness of these people. And that makes them very relatable to us. And what we see in Moses, what we tend to think of in, from Moses is the one that stands over the Red Sea with that staff and parts the water. What we tend to remember from Moses is the one who struck the rock and water came out. We tend to remember from Moses the one that spent 40 days on on that Mount Sinai, getting the, in, the, in the very presence of the Holy One, receiving the law, receiving God's Word directly from him. We tend to remember Moses that way, but Moses was not this fearless Rambo-type figure, this movie depiction that, that we think. Moses was a man like everyone else, and Moses had his times of weakness. And it's in those times of weakness that we find him the most relatable. But at the same time, it, it becomes something that we can, we can recognize in, in our own lives. It, if it took Moses, who was as weak as I am, if it took Moses just relying on his faith that God will do what he says he will do, and that is what has given Moses this elevated position, well, if he's just as weak a man as I am, then I can do that too. I can trust the Lord. I can trust what he says. Trust the Lord, leave the results to him, not expect some explanation all of the time. What we're going to see from Moses at, at the end of this chapter is, is something that you and I struggle with just as a normal, a normal thing in life. We're going, to, we're going to see something of a juxtaposition, a, a, a contrast between God's provision and God's promise versus our expectation. God makes promises of what he's going to do and what he's going to provide, and then we have certain expectations. And our expectations very often go unmet. It, it happens in ways that maybe we didn't expect. It doesn't happen as, it almost never happens as fast as we want it. But God's provision that he has promised is always on time. It's always on his time, not on our time. And what you come to realize, as Moses will come to realize as he goes through this time in, in this battle between Pharaoh and Yahweh, as he goes through this, he's going to recognize that God's timing is perfect when he, and he accomplishes his best, his way, for his glory and for our good. And you begin to back away and, and realize that you can trust him to do what he said he's going to do, even if it's not on our timetable. We're impatient people. When's the last time you popped popcorn on the stove? Still? I do it just as some nostalgic thing to show my kids sometimes, but my kids don't want to wait five minutes. How about five-minute oatmeal? Who buys five-minute oatmeal? Nobody. Who buys one-minute oatmeal? I like the five-minute better. Now, I bought something the other day. I decided, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and, and do it right. I'm going to buy just, I'm not going to buy the quick oats. I'm going to buy the regular oatmeal. You know how long it takes to cook that? Not five minutes. And when it's done, it's still crunchy. I said, I'll take that stuff in the little bag you rip open in the microwave the next time over this. But we're just impatient. We're impatient people. That's how, that's how Americans are. It's how we've become even more than, even more than people in, in the past. What Moses came to recognize is that God does things in his time, and he does things for his glory, which is always for our good, and he, he learns that, that sometimes you have to face this dichotomy between God's glory coming in God's time in spite of the fact that it's not providing you the most comfortable ride all of the time. He, he sees this, this contrast between God's glory and our comfort. God's glory is coming. He's already promised Moses, I'm going to rescue them by a strong hand. I will do it. Pharaoh's not going to let him go without a strong hand. He's already told him that. Moses goes in chapter 5 and he realizes this is exactly what God said was going to happen. 
Moses was afraid, remember, that he said, I'm going to go and nobody's going to listen to me. One, they, they're going to want to know what your name is, and then I don't speak the language very well anymore. So he said, go and do these signs, and I'm telling you that they're going to listen. And they did. But Moses found out very quickly that people are fickle. And what we see at the, in the second half of Exodus chapter 5, after the battle has begun, Moses faces his first test. This is Moses' first test. Now I want to read verses 10 through 23, and then we're going to come back and unpack it a little bit. But this is immediately, this begins immediately after Moses' conversation with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, he has this, this very... Uh, vicious retaliation toward them they've come and asked for this and not he could have just said no go back to work but he doesn't on that day in verse six he told the taskmasters over the people and their foremen now remember the taskmasters are egyptians the foremen are men that they've picked of the israelis so the foremen are over the group of israeli workers and the taskmasters are over the foremen and he tells them don't bring them any straw anymore let them gather their own straw now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you right now, but if you've got to have a quota of bricks and you're stuck in the brick quarry, the brick quarry is where the clay is, not where the, the crops are made, not where the grass is growing. You've got to go who knows how far to get to where the grass is, and you have to get straw, bring it here to mix it, to make the bricks. It, it, I, I told you last week it, it had a, a couple of effects. The, the acidic breakdown of the straw created a, a chemical reaction in the clay that made it even stronger and it gave a filler uh, for the bricks and and some fibrous reinforcement in the brick so without that now they're going to have subpar bricks that they have to work twice as hard to make and the quota does not go down now if you've got a quota at work and you don't meet it you might get reprimanded by the boss he's going to chew you out if you're a slave and you don't meet the quota what do you think happens there's physical punishment, and that physical punishment is going to come to them, and it has come to them. And the physical punishment goes first to the foreman. We're going to see the foreman here are going to go to Pharaoh. These are Israeli supervisors of Israeli work groups. And what they're being forced to have to do is to beat their own people to get them to, to produce the quota so that they don't face the taskmaster who will beat them mercilessly. It's just a, a terrible situation. And Moses is going to be put to the test by it. Let's start in verse 10. Exodus chapter 5. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but no amount of your slave labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather straw for stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were pressing them, saying, Complete your work quota, the daily amount, just as when there was straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making brick as previously? Then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal with us? Why do you deal this way with your slaves? There is no straw given to your slaves, yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks. And behold, your slaves are beaten, but it is the sin of your own people. But he, being Pharaoh, said, You are lazy, lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to Yahweh. So now go and labor, but straw will not be given to you. Yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. Then the foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble. Because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they confronted Moses and Aaron standing there to meet them. And they said to them, 
May Yahweh look upon you and judge, for you have made us a foul smell in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses returned to Yahweh and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This at first glance is not a very comforting or positive, exciting passage. It's just bad news piled on top of bad news with a dollop of bad news on top. Verses 10 to 14, we see a grievous challenge presented to the people. Verses 15 to 19, we see a grievous complaint made by the people. In verses 20 to 23, we see a grievous charge laid at the feet of Moses and Aaron by the people. Let's look first at this grievous challenge that is laid before them in verses 10 to 14. Verses 10 and 11, we see a serious announcement. Now, these men come to them, and they have an announcement from Pharaoh. The, the slaves don't get to go and talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has the taskmasters that come to him. He gives them the orders. They go, and they tell the, the foreman. The foreman take it and, and bring it down, the managerial ladder down to the, the uh, work units. So they come with a very serious announcement. The taskmasters of the people and their foremen. They've been given this to say to the people. They come, and, and look at how it's worded. What did Moses say when he gets to Pharaoh in verse 1? Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel. What does he send the foreman and the taskmasters out to say to the people? Thus says Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, is putting himself in, in immediate opposition to God. He, this is not... This is not a guy that is at all encumbered by the idea that he might be displeasing a deity. He sees himself as the deity. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and there was no one in the world that had more power than did the Pharaoh at this time. They go out to the people, and they deliver this message. Thus says Pharaoh, thus says your God, effectively is what they're saying. I am not going to give you any straw. Now, at first glance, that may sound like, well, maybe that's, that's better. Maybe this is actually good news. Because if we don't have straw, that's one less step that we have to go through because the straw had to be mixed in with the clay. If you've seen DeMille's depiction of this, they would come and dump the straw into the, the hole where, where the people are, are mashing it in. They're stomping it into the, into the clay, and then they pull out what is there and lay it out in... in in a little press that they press out the bricks and they, they leave them in those forms until they're sun-baked and, and ready to put on uh, the buildings that they're going to make with them. But if you tell them immediately that there's not going to be any more straw, we're not going to give you straw anymore, that might, that might have been a little bit of a relief to them. That's just one less step that we have to make. Maybe this is actually a little relief, but that doesn't, that, that false sense of assurance doesn't last long. I'm not going to give you any straw you go and get straw for yourselves, wherever you can find it. I'm not going to give it to you, but you're still going to need it. Go get it wherever you can find it. But no amount of your slave labor will be reduced. I am taking away a necessity for you to meet the quota, and I still expect you to meet the quota. Have you ever had a boss put you under an impossible task? Seem like an, there's an impossible demand. Put you on a deadline that no one can meet. That's where these people have been put. But their boss, it's not a matter of, well, you know, I've had enough of this boss. I'm going to go find another boss. You're a slave. You can't. You, you have, you've got no way out on your own. You know what we see depicted for us again and again here in this in this autobiographical information from Moses, what we continue to see in the people of Israel and their enslavement to 
the Egyptians, is a picture of every mother's child and their slavery to sin into which you were born. We have no way out. We, we have no answer. And, and sin is never satisfied. It always wants more and more and more. And it piles on more and more agony into our lives. And as Pharaoh is going to do this to these people, he's going to put them into a position where they are going to want God's remedy no matter the cost. Whatever it costs me, it doesn't matter. I want the relief that only you can provide. Rescue me from this slavery. That, that's where this is going, and that is what is, is depicted here. That these people are living in an unsustainable agony now. Now that this has been handed down to them, they can't sustain this, as we're going to see. Because they've already fallen behind for three days. Yesterday and the day before, you didn't meet the quota. And the, the penalty was so stiff that in three days, they're running to Pharaoh and finding, hey, what is going on here? They bypassed the taskmasters. They need an audience with Pharaoh. And the, 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 the foremen are going to get there. We'll get there in a minute. This begins in verse 15. But we see... In verses 12 and 13, we see a scattered anxiety. They, they're anxious. The taskmasters have, have laid this down on the foreman. Now the foremen actually have to go and do even more work. They're having to take people away from jobs that they're already doing. You go and find straw, stubble, anything that you can find to put in here. They're not bringing us the, the uh, what would happen when they would harvest the grain. This is harvest time here in South Louisiana. And uh, they're harvesting rice right now. And what used to happen in a rice harvest is they would go in and they would cut the whole stalk and cut it at the ground and they would tie it in bundles and they would stack the bundles to dry and let the sun dry the, the, uh, the rice. And when it was time to, uh, to bring it, once it was dry, when it was time to put it in the bin or bring it to sell it, they would take those bundles, throw them in a wagon and bring them to a thrasher and it would thrash the the, uh, the, the rice off of the straw, and then they would discard the straw and take the, the, the rice holes, the, the, the rice, and, and sell it at, at the mill or wherever they were going to go with it, put it on a boat and, and ship it to uh, somewhere else in the world, whatever they're going to do. Well, in, in Egyptian culture, when they would have the harvest, they would take that after the thrasher and they would bring that to to the, the, the brick quarries where they were uh, making the bricks. We said, no more are we going to do that. So you've got to go and find it. They're not equipped to do it. They wouldn't have the, the wagons and the, everything that was necessary to do this. And he says, go find it wherever you can. Verse 12 says the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. They're just taking anything that will go in there, any grass, any anything that they can find. They're desperate because now they have an not, it may have sounded initially like they were going to lose one of the steps in the process, but now they've added a very significant step to the process. And they know what happens if they don't produce. And while they're scattered looking for this straw, stubble for straw, they are very anxious. It says the taskmasters were pressing them, saying, complete your quota, the daily amount, just as when there was no straw just on their back. You can hear them walk around cracking a whip. You better get busy. You better hurry up. Just a terror and anxiety would have befallen these people as they're scattered about trying to find anything that they can and to get back and try to still produce what they were producing before. And uh, the it him constantly referring to them going back to their hard labor, their hard slave labor. Go back to your hard labors in verse 4. They're just under constant anxiety. They're not sleeping at night. They're, they're, there are beatings every day. And we find them in verse 14 in severe agony. It says, moreover, on top of all of that, the people were being pressed, they were anxious, they were scattered, trying to find whatever they could. Moreover, on top of that, he says, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, the foremen were beaten 
and were asked, why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making bricks as previously? Three days in, they're already beating these men. And they realize that there is no hope in sight. There is no way that we can continue to do this. And they get an idea. As we'll see from the wording of their meeting with Pharaoh, they get an idea. Maybe, maybe this is not what Pharaoh said. Then they start to hope. This can't be. Pharaoh's never done this before. What have we done to deserve this? We're going to go talk to him. We're going to go and we're going to get to the bottom of it. So they bring a grievous complaint to Pharaoh in verses 15 to 19. In verse 15, I guess 15 and 16. In verses 15 and 16, we see a hopeful address. They come to him somewhat hopeful. They come to Pharaoh and they're thinking, maybe, maybe Pharaoh doesn't know what's going on. Maybe that we're going to go and bring him news that what they're doing is behind his back and, and we'll get some relief from him. Maybe, maybe he didn't say that. Maybe we want to hear it from his mouth. <clears throat> because you know how people are that have no accountability. They will take advantage of any opportunity to mistreat another person. Maybe these taskmasters just decided, you know what? We can treat you any way that we want to. So let's have a little fun with them. So they come hopeful into Pharaoh's presence. And this is what they tell him. When the foreman of the sons of Israel, then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh. So they come to Pharaoh and they're pleading with him. They cry out to him. And they say, why do you deal with your slaves this way? There is no straw given to your slaves, yet they keep telling us. They keep saying to us, make bricks. They've not given us straw, and they're telling us to continue to make bricks. They're they're trying to inform him. They're hoping to inform him of something he doesn't know. And behold, we're being beaten. Your slaves are being beaten. We're not given what we need. They're telling us to make bricks, and your slaves are being beaten. They're they're appealing to this man's humanity at some point. Your slaves are being beaten. But it is the sin of your own people. This is a very bold thing for them to say. Okay, this is happening to us, and it's your people's fault. There's no way that they went to Pharaoh and said, hey, this is your fault. They're telling Pharaoh that your people are doing this to us. Like if they think that they're, they're hopeful that this address is going to get his attention. Your people are doing us wrong. Now, commentators think that there, there really were two options in, in, uh, as far as what was on their mind when they said this, that your people are doing us wrong. It's the sin of your people. Either they said what I've been telling you, that it was against his will, and now him finding out, he'll stop it. Or they're saying to him, this is against all that is right. This is absolutely unlawful. It is unfair. It is not right. And if they continue to do this, they will pay the proverbial piper. Maybe that's what they were saying to him. But either way, they've come to him thinking that he doesn't know and that he's not aware of how severe things are. They're hopeful. It's a hopeful address. Your people are doing this. Your slaves are suffering. And that means that what you want to have done is suffering because they're getting in the way of you getting what you have demanded. They think that that's going to get his attention. But that hopeful address is met by a hateful attack. And it is a personal attack from Pharaoh to these people. Again, if they thought that there was good news coming when he said there's no more straw, that was met with the reality that this is more difficult than we ever would have dreamt. There's no straw. You have to get it yourself. Keep using it, but you have to go get your own. And here they've come and they think that they have informed him of something that he doesn't know and that they're going to get some relief. But instead of relief, what they get is a hateful personal attack upon them. They're not going to find any sympathy from this man. He has no sympathy for them. Verse 17. But he said, this is Pharaoh. 
They've cried out to him. They're pleading with him. Why do you deal with us this way? They're telling us that we have to do this. They're taking away our straw. Your slaves are being beaten. But he said to them, you are lazy. Lazy. Some of your translations will say idle. You are idle. You just, you, you're not, you just don't want to do your job. The next thing he says to them is absolutely wicked. He is doing his level best to defame their God, to defame the living God. He is making unmistakably plain to us what God said to Moses earlier in chapter 4, that he will not let my people go except by a strong hand. He is proving that to be true. This guy says, I've never heard of Yahweh. I could care less about Yahweh. By the way, you people are lazy. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to Yahweh. And they realize that the experience that they had in verse 31, look look at the contrast in the highs and lows in the lives of these people. This was an extreme high in verse 31 of chapter 4. They bowed low in worship. They found out, they heard that Yahweh cared about the sons of Israel, that he had seen their affliction. He's coming to rescue us. And then they come to verse 17 and they realize That Yahweh has come on the scene and things have just gotten worse for us than they've ever been. They've just gotten thrown out of the frying pan and into the fire. You're lazy. That's why you say, let us go sacrifice to Yahweh. And they realize, where did he hear that? He heard that from Aaron and Moses. We were thrilled with the message that they had. Now they've gone with it and this is what's come about? This is worse than we thought. So now go and labor. Look at what's on his mind. Go work. Work yourself to death, you stupid slave. You worthless slave. This is the worst possible depiction of slavery. But remember, this is what slavery to sin looks like. Sin is never satisfied. Sin is never your friend. Sin entices you to do things that are crimes against the the creator and then turns around and tells you that you're guilty for doing it and at the same time is dragging you deeper and deeper into more of it. And we live in this, we find ourselves in this agony. We want relief and the only thing that we can receive from this slave master of sin is what he gets, what he gives to them. Go and labor, go and work some more, but straw will not be given to you. Yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. He knows that they can't produce this, by the way. He's not a fool. Go back to your hard labors. They were hard labors with straw. What is it when they have to go get their own straw? He's just put them in an impossible situation. He wants to see even more of them killed. Remember when we met Pharaoh in chapter 1? What was that Pharaoh trying to do? Murder all of the, the Israeli boys that he could. Kill them all. Then he got so angry, somebody was listening to the, the, uh, the CDs from uh, the early uh, sermons from Exodus when we started a few months ago. Pharaoh commanded the people in verse 22 of chapter 1, every son who is born to you, you are cast into the Nile. He said, you know what? I don't want any males walking around. Kill them all. This is how vicious and vile people get when you give them unlimited authority. Some of you have been on jobs where a guy gets a title and a set of keys and he becomes the most unbearable person to have to deal with on the job. People just can't handle authority sometimes. People don't know how. And when you give a sinful person this type of authority, it cannot go good for anybody. And it goes very bad for them, and it is a very clear depiction of uh, of the, the mastery of sin over, over us as unbelievers before we turn to Christ as our Lord. Straw will not be given to you, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. You must do it. There will be no relief. And he's attacked them. He, he attacks them and he attacks 
their God. He attacks them and calls them lazy, and then he attacks their God. You're not going to go sacrifice to this weasley idea of a God. Get back to your work. That's your God. I'm your God. Go do what I say. Thus says Pharaoh. In verse 19, we see a hopeless awakening. The foremen of the sons of Israel, they, they just wanted, remember, they're crying out to God for deliverance, but they want God to bring deliverance their way and in their time by their definition. And God has come and he says, I'm going to bring deliverance. And, and in verse 31 of chapter 4, they, they're, they, the people believed, they bowed low and worshiped. Moses comes in. Moses says, okay, everything's going according to plan. But Moses goes to Pharaoh and it doesn't work out too well. Although God told him it wouldn't. But it's going to turn into worse than, than Moses imagined. Because in Moses' mind, what's the worst that can happen? Pharaoh says, no. Now, get out of here and don't come back. That's the worst that could happen in Moses' mind. Nobody thought this was going to happen. The foremen of Israel have come from a very high, high, in verse 31 of chapter 4, here to verse 19, the foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. It is an impossible task. We cannot do it. This was a hopeless awakening. We are done for. I've told you before many times that sometimes God has to put us in a situation where we are flat on our back and have no hope anywhere else because when you are flat on your back, the only place you can look is up. And that's where he's bringing these people. That's where he's brought each and every one of his people that have turned to him in repentance and faith. You come to the end of yourself and your, your capacity, your, your, your thinking that you can still do something. You realize there's nothing more that I can do. These people are going to realize that if God does not rescue me, there is no rescue. We're done for. They're getting to that point right here in verse 19. Well, they leave that meeting with Pharaoh in this hopeless state. And they're going to level a grievous charge against Moses. But really, they're laying a grievous charge against Yahweh. Because Moses didn't just show up from Midian and say, hey guys, I have an idea. Moses comes in and says, listen, Yahweh has sent me here for this. He's come to rescue. And this is where we find Moses giving us some hope in this life because Moses wasn't this rock-ribbed, fully courageous leader. Moses was weak just like you and I are. And we see it here. This is where the test for Moses really begins. This entire episode, beginning in verse 10, has, has led us here to verse 20. In 21 and 22, when Moses responds, when they left Pharaoh, they are the foremen. They left Pharaoh's presence. They confronted Moses and Aaron who were standing there to meet him. Moses and Aaron hear that they've gone to see Pharaoh. They're standing outside. And when the foremen come out, there is an unavoidable confrontation here. Moses and Aaron are there. They've just come out and realized that they are hopeless What happens when we find ourselves in a hopeless situation? We want to find somebody to blame, right? That's why Gordon McKernan has so much money. That's why Morris Bart has so much money. Somebody always has to be to blame for, for difficulty. For, it, it was an accident. I love that. Big truck accident? Call me. I'll get you what you deserve. Okay. Was it an accident or was it on purpose? If it was an accident... I mean, our, our kids have accidents all the time. We don't just bludgeon them for every accident that they have. But we want somebody to blame. Why did this go wrong? What did you do? Somebody must have done something. I'm, I'm having a difficult time. Whose fault is it? And they come out and they realize in verse 17 that it's because of what Moses and Aaron had to say that Pharaoh has reacted like this. And when they're going to find Moses and Aaron, there's going to be a confrontation. And it's an unavoidable one because they're waiting for them when they come out. Now, you can imagine what Moses and Aaron must have been wondering. They, we have 
the ability to read past this and know what's going to happen. They don't know. This is happening in real time. Moses and Aaron are standing outside of the door, kind of like when, when you're at, at uh, the hospital waiting on my wife to have a child, and we've not told anybody what she's having. They all want to know, what is it? What, what, what did you have? They're just, well, what, how did it go? What was, what, how did this meeting go? Tell me what happened. Somebody goes in for a job interview. You want to know what, what happened? Tell me what happened. Moses and Aaron are outside. Well, what's going to happen? They've gone in to meet with Pharaoh. Is he going to crack? Is he, is he actually going to, to, to respond? Right? What's going to happen? Moses and Aaron really aren't ready for this to be what happens any more than these foremen were when they went in. So they come out, and they, are con- they confronted Moses and Aaron standing there to meet them. Here's the confrontation. They don't react well. They react just like you and I would have reacted. Let's be honest. They didn't come out of there and do anything that we can look at and say, oh, what a shame for them to act this way. Poor Moses just trying to help them. All they know is Moses showed up and things have gotten worse than we ever dreamed because he went and had one conversation with Pharaoh. Who else are you going to blame? If they could have called Morris Bart, they'd have called Morris Bart and, and Gordon McKernan and that clown in Alexandria that's all over the radio. We've got a defamation case. This guy went and ruined our life. And they unleash in verse 21 what, what I've called an understandable castigation. They're going to castigate Moses. They're just going to cut him lower than the dirt. And it's understandable. You and I can understand why they do this. This has just happened to me, and the only thing that changed from five days ago until today is that you went and talked to Pharaoh. So guess what? You blew it. Shame on me. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. This isn't happening again. We see you, Moses. Look at verse 21. Here's the castigation, this understandable reaction. They said to them, Moses and Aaron, may Yahweh look upon you and judge. That's a very polite way of saying what they wanted to say. It's funny that they used Yahweh's name. They didn't let go of that. That was the good news that Moses brought to him, what his name was. May Yahweh look upon you and judge, for you have made us a foul smell in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hands to kill us. They realize there is no way we can meet this. If they break out the swords and are going to kill us if we don't do it, we're dead because we cannot do what they the, cannot produce the load that they put us under. And God judge you for it. This is not a group of people who are crying out for help. They are absolutely attacking Moses. Moses was worried to begin with that they wouldn't listen to him at all. Now they've listened to him and they've believed him and they've completely done a 180. Now, now they want nothing to do with him. And they're saying, you know what, go back to Midian and I hope God burns you alive on the way there. That's what they're telling him. If I never see you again, it'll be too soon. That's what they're telling him. Forty years before this, Moses, in his own power, for his own reasons, with, a, with all of the sincerity that a man can muster, Moses had tried to deliver this people himself. Moses has a sensitive heart for these people that we cannot even put into words. He has a motherly affection for these people. And now... The only thing that he sees in his immediate view is that the one thing that he came to do to try to make up for the last time when he was rejected outright by his people and by the Egyptians, now he is back. He finds himself again having been rejected by Pharaoh, and now he is rejected by the people once again. Forty-year-old Moses would have taken his staff and run back to Midian. But 80-year-old Moses has a little bit different reaction. Boy, we can learn from it. There is unequivocal consternation on Moses' mind. Moses doesn't just say, well, you know what? This is what I expected. Sometimes we go into a meeting and, and, and we expect it to go really bad. And when it goes bad, we're not real surprised. Okay, we survived it. But this, 
This is going to be bad for a little while, but we can make it through. That's not what Moses is thinking here. Moses is thinking just like you and I would think. Moses has got the first test has come, and Moses, is, it sounds like he is ready to throw in the towel. And there is no but at the end of this where he says, this is how I feel, but this is what I'm going to do. Moses does exactly what you and I understand. He does exactly what you and I would want to do, how we would normally react. Except for one thing. We see this castigation of Moses you know what? God judge you. Let, just let God take you and let God judge you. You've made us a foul smell to Pharaoh and they're going to kill us because of you. Some deliverer you are. In that moment, you know what you and I would have done? We would have defended ourselves with those people. Right? I would have. Oh, hold on, look. You wanted out of this slavery thing. I went in there for you, and this is how you're going to treat me? On top of that, I didn't tell you I was going to do anything. God said he's going to do it with a strong hand. What do you expect him to do the first day? You know how we react. Moses doesn't do that. He says, then Moses returned to Yahweh. This is like a gut punch to Moses in verse 21. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't react. He responds. You know the difference in a reaction and a response? A reaction is like when you go to the doctor for a physical and he hits your knee with that hammer and your foot jumps. That's a reaction. An action has, has affected you and you react. A response takes a little, a little minute. Sometimes it takes a while. You, you've got to think through a response. Moses responds here. He returned to Yahweh. And he said, oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? He starts asking the questions we would ask. This, this is where he becomes very relatable. Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? As though slavery itself wasn't harm. I don't, you know how we think. Why have you brought harm to them? And why did you send me? Why did you ever send me? Why did you send me here? I've been through this once already with this failed, embarrassing attempt to try to deliver these people. And here I am again, and it's, I've come back here, you've sent me here, and it's only made things worse for them. He doesn't say that this made it worse for me, though, does he? He really has an affection for these people. He has a pastoral heart for these people. Why have you brought harm to these people? Why did you ever send me? You could have sent anybody. You could have done this without me and just brought blessing to these people, but you sent me. Why did you send me to these people? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. Pharaoh's immediate and constant reaction to what Moses had to say to him on Yahweh's behalf his immediate and constant action was to harm this people. And then he says this. And this is where we really, we really get down to the nuts and bolts of it. This is why Moses acts this way. This is why the people acted that way. This is why you and I react the way that we do very often when we don't receive what it is that we're looking for as quickly as we would like. Lord, this is not what I expected. Look what he says. You have not delivered your people at all. Moses had an expectation, just like you and I have an expectation. We go to, to the Lord in prayer. We go and we petition him. We have an expectation of how things should go, how things will go. You've said that if I do things this way, then you're going to do this. And we have our own idea of how. We go to God in prayer and we tell him, Lord, this is what I need and this is how you should do it. We start giving him suggestions on how he should meet our need and answer our prayer. And sometimes that's okay. But when we get the idea that he's there to, to, to let us find ourselves in a predicament and then give us what we want in providing for us what he says is best, have you ever gotten exactly what you wanted in a situation in life and it turned out to be the, the last thing that you ever would have really asked for if you'd have known how it turned out? You ever wanted a job so bad, Lord, i got to have this job. This, job. this job just make my life just great. And then you get the job, and it ain't all you thought it was. 
because the grass is always greener on the other side. You've seen that picture. You've got a cow on one side of a fence and a donkey on the other, and both of them have their heads stuck through the fence eating on the other side. His grass looks better than mine. Yeah, but yours looks better than mine, so we'll swap. That's how we look at life. We tend to think that what we see is, is how things should go, and, and we can come up with the best solution for our life. But I'll tell you this. The greatest need in your life is what Jesus Christ came to provide, and you would never have dreamt of the cross of Christ. And that is what God sent to meet the, the greatest need that we have. He doesn't always come on our time frame. I've got good news for you. If you don't know what comes in Exodus, he does deliver them. And he delivers them with a strong hand. In fact, he doesn't even give them a choice. You're getting out of here. He tells Pharaoh, in chapter 6, he's going to tell Pharaoh, you're going to drive the people out. You're not going to let them go. You're going to force them out. Now, that's a complete turnaround from what Pharaoh's trying to do here. But even Moses, in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, Yahweh answers Moses. He said, you've not delivered this people at all. You've done nothing good for them. Well, yeah, not in your little puny time frame. Boy, I've got a bigger plan than you, big Mo. Just hold on a minute. Just wait and see. Then he says, Yahweh said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Look, you calm down. Now you're going to find out. You're not going to question me anymore when you see what's about to happen here. Moses is very relatable. His first test was almost a complete failure. He had some high points and some low points. He did exactly what he was asked to do. It didn't turn out the way he expected. I, it's, it's remarkable to me. Chapter 12, it tells us that Moses was the meekest man that ever lived. We, we see that on full display here in verse 22 because what Moses did was return to Yahweh. He, he, just, he just absorbed all of that attack, all of that that venom coming from those men. He just absorbed it all, and, and he, went to, he went to the Lord with it. What a great example for you and I. The Lord always provides what he says he's going to provide, but he's not always overly interested in our time frame. But he always delivers, and his timing is always perfect. And these people, these foremen, one day, very soon in, in this record, they're going to look back and, and probably come to Moses and apologize. We never should have doubted you. We never should have doubted our God. But they're not there yet, and we're going to walk through it with them and, and see how it goes and learn with them and learn from them. For God's glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... For having recorded for us what, what in, you have recorded, these, these truths from, from long ago that are such an encouragement and a great instruction for us this day. As we live in a life in a world that is filled with the same needs that these Israelis' lives were filled with. And pray that you will help us to learn from them. That we might come to a greater understanding of who you are. That we might come to know you better as they did going through these things in their life as we, as we walk through the, it with them in the, in the past, Lord, that we might learn how to trust you more and how to see you honored to the utmost in our lives. Lord, bless your people for having been here tonight. Pray that you be honored in all of it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.